The following podcast is for healthcare professionals only. All views expressed belong to our speakers and don't necessarily reflect those of Nestle Health Science. This series was recorded in lockdown, so please forgive our audio quality while we didn't have access to a studio. Hello and welcome to Inside Medical Nutrition Podcast, a podcast powered by Nestle Health Science and hosted by me, Dr. Linia Patel. In today's episode, we'll be discussing how tolerated vendor diets are. And for the episode, I'm delighted to have two experts in the field, Lucy Jackman, who's a specialist pediatric dietitian, and Dr. Graham O'Connor, who is the research lead for dietetics, and they both work for the Great Ormond Children's Hospital. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Linia. Thank you for the invitation to speak today. I'm so excited to be talking to you both, uh, not only about blended diets, but particularly a- around how well they're tolerated. But before we actually start off, um, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about yourselves. So, um, Graham, we'll start with you. What got you into dietetics? Oh, yeah, I mean, scary. I qualified almost 20 years ago, which is just crazy. Um, and I was actually training to be a paramedic. Um, and I was then I got a call to, I was on a reserve list to, to be a dietitian. I done a nutrition degree and then applied for dietetics and thankfully got onto the course in Glasgow. Um, and then, yeah, 12 years of those have been at Great Ormond Street and started my PhD in 2015, which then led me on to being the research leader at Great Ormond Street Dietetics Department. So that's been a fantastic 20 years career. How old is that? <laughs> <laughs> So you've you've had as kind of specialist interest in kind of pediatrics and feeding in general. Yeah, so twenty years. Most of those have all been pediatrics. So it's ranged from eating disorders, and then I've moved to um, intensive care in the last four or five years, um, but always been pediatrics. So general pediatrics, um, and then doing more specialist stuff. So luckily at Great Ormond Street, I've done all the rotations of the Bantam rotations, um, so I've got a good grounding. Amazing. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> and Lucy, how about yourself? What, um, why did you choose dietetics? So similar to Graham, actually, I didn't go straight into dietetics. I did a degree to start with in sports and exercise science. So, um, so I did three years in that and then actually worked as a kind of a health advisor. So I did lots of like exercise testing, sort of uh, blood analysis, you know, advice around sort of generally keeping yourself healthy and healthy and fit but actually I just loved food I loved spending time sort of one-to-one with patients and I'd always kind of tossed up between nutrition when I was going to university the first time and sports science so I just decided to go back as a bit more of a mature student and do another degree <laughs> in sports uh, in uh, dietetics this time so um haven't been working quite as long as Graham but coming up to sort of six oh. seven years now <laughs> I mean, it's not hard <laughs> and um yeah so and again originally I started up in adult dietetics uh, but I only did that for about a year and I just really enjoyed working with children so started with general pediatrics and then just gradually um sort of specialized so first of all went into sort of allergy specialist and I also did a little bit of eating disorders as well um and then um, specialized in gastroenterology where I now kind of lead the sort of GI allergy team and sort of motility disorders um, at Great Ormond Street, which actually is, you know, where we're really seeing quite a lot of blended diets being really useful is in motility conditions. So 
um, I think it's a really exciting area to be involved in. Yeah, no, absolutely. Wow, you both come with so much um, expertise, which is brilliant. Just tell me a little bit more around how you two work together. Um, so we're we're di- we're, yeah, sorry, go on, Lucy. We're in different, <laughs> we both obviously work at the same NHS trust, but um, we actually work in different different teams, so different specialties within the, within the department. Um, but obviously we do have patients that overlap so graham's patients might step down from picu onto one of our um onto one of our gastro wards um and actually graham has been helping me quite a lot with some research proposals i've been doing recently so um you know (laughs) are you studying studying some more are you studying some more no i'm not studying it was actually for um like a clinical research project for a rare condition that i work with um sort of one of the charities had a sort of a grant call out so it was to try and get some funding and um, hopefully blend something um to fund something actually in blended diet in this rare condition um so graham was a you know a great help with that and i was hitting up his brains a lot we, we actually That's live it. around the corner from each other as well so that yeah we do yeah, <laughs> so we, we know a more social so if there's do. any sort of connection issues i'll just pop down to graham's oh, fantastic. <laughs> fantastic that's brilliant talk to me um graham a little bit more about your enteral nutrition caseload at the moment what does it look like yeah, so our, our trust has about 400 beds and at least half of those are on some sort of enteral formula, um, which we would say is, is ready to hang. And then at least 100 of those patients on a specialised formula. So that could be amino acid or hydrolyzed feed or a modular feed where we're changing the concentration just because of the cohort of patients that we see. They are, they are quite complex. Um, so, I mean, historically, um, Children would be able. Children were able to meet their nutritional requirements. Already would and had a functioning gut. Would commence on a standard commercial enteral formula. Um, but what we've noticed in the last few years now is a, a real shift to families coming wanting to use a, a blended diet. Um, and, and Lucy's got some information on that. Actually, that's really interesting. So there's been an increase in the use of blended diets. And why do you think that that's the case, Lucy? I think there's a number of different different reasons, and I think each family kind of has their has their own reasons but there's definitely been a real shift towards kind of um natural food and sort of the benefits of feeding your child you know real food rather than sort of commercial formulas I would say and that's definitely feedback that I am getting from parents is actually they're just feeling you know their role as a parent is to feed their child and a blended diet really gives them that opportunity to you know still cook up the food and sit down at a mealtime and give them the give their child the food that they need and so you know I'd say that there's working gastroenterology there's quite a lot of interest and it's quite um fashionable now people are talking about gut health and actually we know that kind of plant-based diversity and a diverse diet is really important for gut health um and I think that is quite a, a big driver for a lot of families that you know they think it, they see it as healthier for their child and it's going to give them more benefits in the long term. Yeah, really interesting. And Graham, this is a question for you, which I'm just asking out of curiosity. Um, maybe there's some research out there about it. But do you, do you think that this increase is more kind of in London or, or do you think it's across the UK? It's, it's actually global. So I was very fortunate to get funding from the British Dietetic Association to do, it's called the James Lind Alliance NIHR Priority Setting for Nutrition, Pediatric Nutrition. So I was um, chairing an international steering committee looking at what the top research projects for the next 10 years for pediatric dietetics. And interestingly, prebiotics, probiotics came out really strongly 
and is likely to be in our top 10 research questions for the next 10 years. There's just a massive cultural shift now. And as Lucy was saying, people want to be more organic. They want more wholesome foods, which makes absolute sense. Um, I mean, interestingly, the nutrients that are in enteral formulas, so they can be derived, the, 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 the um, multivitamins can be chemically derived or they can be natural. But I mean, kept, structurally, they're exactly the same. But once you take away that natural component of that, say, vitamin C within a piece of fruit, we don't know how well we absorb it, how well it's actually metabolized at, at, at a molecular level. So, it, you know, it's common sense, really. I think, you know, looking back to how we, you know, when we were able to do enteral formulas for patients that couldn't feed, this was pioneering. And I think now we're just, you know, this is a natural progression. Now let's go as wholesome as possible um, and as, as, as possible as manufacturers can do safely because it's so difficult to make these blended diets or formulas that have got real food in them. Yeah. Um, so this is going back to basics a little bit. And I know we've covered this in a previous podcast, um, but could you give me just a, a brief definition of what a blended diet is? Um, yeah, so, I mean, basically, it's kind of what it says on the, on the tin, actually. It's kind of household food that's been blended up or made into a sort of a liquid formation that can be administered via gastrostomy. So um, there's often other words that are used interchangeably. So it might be blender diet, liquidized diet, blenderized diet, um, blenderized tube feed diet. So um, there's lots of different words, but essentially it is kind of blending up natural food and administering it via the gastrostomy. Um, yeah, yeah, no, and, and Graham, have you always supported blended diets? Well, well do you know what? It, because we're, we're guided by the British Diet Association and we were told not to, and, and also, blended diet it takes a lot of time for these patients to, to make sure it's nutritionally complete. And Lucy will go into like the, the complexities of getting the nutrition in, but what's important is even though we know that you know, we've got the shift in culture and we should be having more organic, um, wholesome foods. What's important is that parents are saying that these feeds are better tolerated than the enteral formulas. So this is what we really have to take on board. I think parents have said this for years, um, but we just haven't been able to endorse it because we haven't been supported by the British Dietetic Association, whereas now we, we, we can support them. Okay, well, so that's really interesting. So parents are saying uh, that they're better tolerated. What's the evidence saying? So the evidence is it's quite good as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, obviously there's variable, um, you know, variable evidence, but on the whole, the evidence is showing that in certain patient groups, actually uh, blended diets do appear to have some, um, some benefits. So a lot of the um, studies have been done in, in patients who've had a fundoplication. So they've had um, sort of a surgery to help with severe reflux. Um, and actually, these studies have shown that the introduction of blended diets have reduced those reflux episodes and um, improved the quality of life for the family and for the patient, um, and actually helped with them gain weight because their reflux is much less. So, um, you know, there is some good, good evidence out there um, about the benefits of blended diet in certain sort of GI conditions, I would say. I don't know what you, your thoughts on that, Graham. Yeah, I mean... Again, from from the reason why it works so well, um, so we in, on intensive care or even in an acute setting, we see a huge amount of diarrhea, and this is diarrhea related to antibiotic use. Um, and we know that by giving real food, 
that's got say prebiotics in it and prebiotics is basically just fibers so your oligosaccharides your fructooligosaccharides your inulin this is what feeds the the good bacteria in your gut which we call the probiotics and it's those probiotics that then produce something that's called your short chain fatty acids um, particularly butyrate which really helps with the integrity of the gut so it's going back to again making absolute sense that fiber should be in our diet and it's good for the gut um, I mean, incredibly, we up to 72% of patients will suffer some sort of diarrhea in an acute setting in a pediatric hospital because of the barrage of intravenous antibiotics they go on to to treat any sepsis. And it just unfortunately wipes out all the good and all the bad bacteria. Um, and then to recolonize that gut can take months, if not years. If, you know, they might, may never actually re, re, recolonize the gut as they, they had done. You know, the next 10 years is going to be fascinating about how the gut microbiome affects your whole immune system. And we're just we're just learning about it now, really. Fascinating. And I mean, Lucy, do you have anything to add around the tolerance of blended diets within the work you do or some examples? Yeah, so... Um... So since I work in quite a, I suppose, a niche area, so I work with a condition called paediatric intestinal pseudo-obstruction, which is actually a really rare GI condition, um, whereby which the sort of the GI tract doesn't propel food properly, um, you know, through the bowel. Um, and it's caused by sort of nerve damage, but also uh, sort of muscle uh, damage as well. And actually around about, well, greater than 50% of our patients require some sort of enteral feeding, um, you know, if they have PEPO. Um, but actually, the majority of those also require some parental nutrition. And actually, I have a really lovely story about a patient who um, we look after in the, the PEPO service. And um, they were started on a blended diet, not, not by our hospital, actually, by their local hospital. Um, but, you know, I'm all about that. That's good. Um, and this, this child was on, sorry, about 50% enteral feeds, um, remaining 50% was parental nutrition. Um, and actually the mum started some small blends kind of gradually throughout the day, gradually building up the amount. And we've managed to kind of get this child off parental nutrition, fully onto blended diet, and his oral diet has also improved as well. Um, and there is some evidence, um, and there are some papers that show kind of the use of blended diet has helped kind of improve oral um, acceptance of food because these children don't always have sort of GI issues. They might just be sort of orally averse for whatever reason. And actually, you know, helping them get back to eating orally is really fundamental. Um, and I've definitely seen that, you know, a blended diet has really helped, um, you know, with these types of patients. No, that sounds fantastic. But I'm sure there's also some other kind of practical issues with blended diets. And I know, Graham, you mentioned a couple. Can you talk me through um, a couple more? I know maybe the risk of tube blockages and things like that. Yeah, I'll let Lucy read this because she's probably got a bit more experience than me with the blended diets, where I've had more experience with the enteral tube with real food in. But yeah, do you want to go through the nutritional adequacy stuff? Lucy? Yeah, definitely. So I know, you know, you guys previously did a really fantastic podcast about kind of around the practice practicalities of blended diets 
But actually, as dietitians, there's kind of three key things that always just crop up that we're really concerned about when we're thinking about blended diets. And I think this is probably some of the reasons why it took, you know, the British Dietetic Association such a long time to kind of come on board with blended diets and really, you know, allow us as dietitians to support the families to do them. And actually, um, there's there's a research uh, study by Armstrong who looked at you know, dietitians' perception of blended diets, so whether they were working with them or not, what they thought might be the problems. And the three main responses are risk of tube blockages, mm. nutritional adequacy or nutritional variability or bioavailability, like Graham mentioned before, and also sort of food hygiene and safety. So, you know, we're very used to having a sterile feed that we know exactly what's in it. You know, we calculate our sums, you know, fantastic, <laughs> we're meeting seeing what it says in the booklet but actually you know some of that control is taken away a little bit for us as dietitians when we're using a blended diet and that obviously is going to make you know give us some anxiety but actually in this study by Armstrong what what they demonstrated was although these were the you know the concerns actually in in real life in patients who have blended diets there was no significant difference in any of the risk of tube blockages, nutritional adequacy on the most part, um, and sort of food hygiene and safety as well. And so I think that's really important. But if we, I suppose, think about some of the the practicalities on, you know, what we're thinking about when we're thinking about sort of risk of food tube blockages and preventing those blockages as well. Um, So we've got to really think about the type of the tube that we're, we're giving the blended diet by. So it's recommended that 14 French is the kind of the smallest size of the lumen of the tube. And this is just to allow kind of easy passage of that sort of that blenderized food, um, you know, into the gastric port. Um, it's also really important that, you know, if a child has an NG tube in and they're waiting for a, you know, a gastrostomy placement, that actually um, an NG tube isn't really suitable for um, blended diet. And that's really just down to kind of the length of the tube um, and that it's much harder to kind of flush the whole whole uh, volume of the blend through and make sure that it's cleared completely. So there's some things to kind of think about. And obviously having that discussion with the family, if they are genuinely fed currently, that actually blended diets you know there's no evidence to support the use of blended diets by the judge at the moment so um you know that is a key thing to have a chat with the families about um and then I suppose all the practical things so making sure that the blend is as thin as it should be so that's normally sort of a single cream consistency so it can go through the tube with ease um and thinking about the type of syringe that you're delivering the the blend with as well so sort of a 60 ml syringe that can gradually kind of push the blend in um and make sure it's not too hot or not too cold you know you're going straight into the into the stomach you don't want any risks of you know burning burning a child but also no risk of making them feel unwell because it's you know too cold as well I imagine there's also an infection risk as well so how do you deal with that if that arises So, I mean, that is a real, I think, worry uh, for dietitians. And actually, parents do worry about that, um, that, you know, there's a risk that the tube, there'll be kind of bits of food left in the tube that then could, um, you know, get mouldy and that would be, you know, an increase of risk of infection. But the research doesn't show that, you know, there is an increased risk of infection or sort of food safety issues with blenderized diet, actually, in the community. Um, 
I'm not aware of any research regarding sort of specifically looking at sort of food produced in a hospital, but I'm sure that's that's on its way um, at some point. Um, another thing to think about is when you're educating these families about blended diets and preparation for the blended diet is all that kind of standard food safety advice that you would be giving, you know, for a family pre preparing their, you know, their food for their family anyway. So make sure you've got you're washing your hands, just storing the food correctly. And um, if you're freezing it, how long it can be frozen for, etc. All those things are really vital for the dietitian to support the family with. Um, and I think that's been really difficult up until now for the families to, you know, really understand how to do a blended diet properly, because we, as dietitians, we've not really been able to offer that support until the last kind of three or four years. Um, and then the, the final thing you mentioned, I think, Graham, you mentioned about nutritional adequacy. So as a dietitian, that's our, our main thing. We want to make sure the children are getting enough nutrition, that they're growing and um, they're getting enough vitamin and minerals, they're you know they're not getting too much fat or sugar or you know whatever it is we want to kind of do a, an analysis to understand what the the blended diet is giving them what we what they have found in some of the research that actually children are requiring sort of about 1.5 um increase in energy when they first start a blended diet to prevent any weight loss and some of that might be down to um thinking about the volume of the feed, the food that is required to meet the same calories. So for example, if a child is on a 1.5 calorie per meal commercially produced feed, um, to get that calorie into a calorie concentration into a sort of a food that's blenderized um, can be quite difficult because you obviously need to add some fluid to um, thin it down to the correct consistency and things like that. So um, sometimes you're going to need to give a much larger volume of the blended diet to enable a child to get the same nutrition. And I'm guessing that monitoring the children is going to be really important as well. So what would your kind of um, advice be around monitoring children on blended diets, Lucy? So I think, I mean, we don't actually have a protocol for this um, at the moment where, where we're working. Uh, but what's really important is that you're monitoring kind of your macro and micronutrient um, intake in the blended diet, especially if, say, water is being used to thin down the blends. Um, you know, this can really kind of deplete the, the nutrition in the feed. What you would want to be using is sort of a nourishing um, formula or, you know, a milk or a cow's milk or a plant-based milk that's high in energy and protein. Um, to support the, the nutrition in that blend. So looking at the macro and micronutrient profile, and that could be through a sort of a computerized program where you're doing dietary analysis. It could be through a thorough diet history um, or food diary that you've done with the family. Um, obviously looking at growth parameters, so weight and, and height and growth trajectory as well, um, to check that the child is still following their growth curve on the, on the chart. And actually, in some cases, you might want to look at some nutritional bloods as well. Um, so that would be looking at sort of levels of different mineral um, and vitamin profiles in the in the serum levels to check that they're still maintaining those levels um, as they move over or when they are fully on a blended diet. Yeah, yeah, no, fantastic. Graham, I'm going to come back to you um, and talk a little bit more Can about I the research. Sorry, then, just to, to add, that was a fantastic overview. Thank you so much 
Right, and just to draw people's um, attention to a fantastic systematic review that was published by Chandraska mm. and Dawson in 2021, and it outlines everything that Lucy's just mentioned, and just the disparity in all the different studies that talk about infection, the calorie content of feeds, and that's why it's just a bit of a minefield still, and that it's not controlled as well as we would like it to be, but it's a brilliant paper to, to, to get hold of. Oh, fantastic. Thanks for that. It's a good one. Um, Graham, going back to you, um, you're currently the research lead for dietetics. Um, are you involved in any research in blended diets or food-derived formulas? Yeah, we are actually. So um, a lot of, a lot of, we've got two um, big research projects that are looking at blended diets and also the um, actual formula feed-derived ingredients. But we've also got 80% of our projects, overall projects, are actually looking at microbiomes now. So this is really changing our our way of researching. We've just completed a national uh, retrospective chart review that was looking at um, switching patients that want even a hydrolyzed formula or a um, whole protein formula and switch them onto a, an enteral formula food derived in, um, ingredient formula. Um, and um, the results of that have been really exciting in terms of how the patients have tolerated the feed, coming off medication. Um, so we're just publishing an abstract on that. But what's more important, what we want to know is that we know that the research has shown that patients are better on blended diets. They are better on these enteral formulas that have food-derived ingredients. We want to know what's happening in the gut. So this is the next big study that we're looking at, looking at these particular formulas to see what's happening with the microbiome. So we've got more evidence to say this is you know, good for the, for the gut. Yeah, so that, yeah that's the, the two big projects that we're looking at at the moment. Yeah, really fascinating. So, Lucy, would you say that um, formulas with food-derived ingredients have changed dietetic practice then? Yeah, so I think I think they've not changed them yet, but I think they're probably on their way to changing dietetic practice, um, I would say. Um, you know, they definitely give us that um, middle ground between a blenderized diet or a blended diet um, and a commercial formula, um, you know, whether it's whole protein, extensively hydrolyzed or... Um, amino acid and actually they're they've been accepted really well by a lot of families um that i that i work with who are you know keen to try you know a blended diet but feeling a little bit anxious about it um you know not sure whether they can commit commit to it you know fully actually these products that have um that have food derived ingredients in them have been a really helpful transition over to the blended diet in a lot of a lot of my patients um so actually, I do think that they're going to be really fundamental in sort of dietetic care moving forward. Um, and yeah, I think we're going to see some really positive and are benefits. There, are there particular settings when you think they're really useful? Yeah, so um, I mean, the hospital-based setting is definitely, for me, where I would find them, where I find them most useful, especially at the moment where you know, we're still in the process of setting up our full kind of blended diet service at, at our trust um, so that we can provide, you know, fresh blenderized foods to, to families. Um, so these formulas that have food derived ingredients have been really helpful, you know, in an inpatient setting where, you know, we haven't been able to supply, you know, a blender, blended diet for these families, but we're still able to provide them with, with something that gives them some food derived ingredients. Um, there and actually I think there is some certain settings in the hospital where they're you know really helpful which you know Graham maybe is the sort of the PICU specialist you're probably the best man to answer this. Uh, you're, you're just, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're, this is the exact issue that we have like the dichotomy that we have in intensive care is that these patients are the ones that definitely need a blended diet 
or a food-derived ingredient formula. But because of the, you know, we can't always control the electrolytes that are in that feed. So if we're playing around with the electrolytes and the serum volumes, you know, the medical team will go mad at us. So by having this food-derived enteral formula, we can now um, control the electrolytes and get the fibre into these patients so we can start to feed whatever good bacteria is left in that gut. Um, and then get the short-chain fatty acids that can help with that gut integrity. So for me, this has been a great um, happy medium for families to use um, on intensive care, but we're really just starting to to use this. Yeah, and I suppose just to add to what Graham said, I've I've had um, some patients that I look after sort of in the community setting and in outpatient setting who are on a blended diet, but actually still quite symptomatic. So for example, still very bad reflux, um, but actually, some of that might be driven by the amount of fat that's needed in the blended diet um, to you know, meet the calorie requirements for that child. And we know that fat delays gastric emptying, which is, you know, a little bit of a vicious cycle when you're thinking about trying to control reflux symptoms. Um, and actually, it's resulted in this, this child in particular having quite, quite poor growth. Um, and I had discussed with the mother about, you know, trying, you know, a commercial formula just as a top up. So an overnight feed, for example, um, just to see if we could get the child to gain a little bit of weight. But she was really quite resistant to this. You know, she's worked so hard at the blended diet and absolutely didn't want to stop that. Um, so we explored the use of a sort of a food derived um formula. And actually, um, she was really willing to give that a try because, you know, she was really um drawn to the fact that it did have some real food ingredients um, within that. So, um, you know, that's been really helpful for me as a dietitian to be able to have something that I can support a family who are on a blended diet, um, you know, to meet their nutritional goals without having to use a formula that, you know, they're really quite against because they've had issues with in the past. Yeah, really interesting. So, I mean, you've just given one example of one parent, but in general, how accepting are parents of changing to these formulas? Yeah, I, I've been, so I, I've had a lot of experience with, because parents come in and they, you know, they, they want to stick with this blended diet and they come onto intensive care and we give them this medium ground that they can try this formula that's got um, food derived um, ingredients. And interestingly, when they are discharged, they want to continue with this f- formula to, to um, marry up with the blended diet to give them that bit of freedom because <clears throat> blended diet, it is time consuming to, to use so this is great for them to have the option so I've been we've been really surprised actually so every patient that started onto this um food derived ingredient for have also we've actually discharged them with a GP prescription to also have to continue with that to to um not marry up but to complement their their blended diet the only issue that we have at the moment is that we need a, a, a food derived ingredient for it that is dairy free and yeah. meat free because yeah. 10% of families saying we don't want to use it because there's meat in it or there's yeah. dairy in it yeah. so that's the next um feed please yeah, yeah. and I, I would I would say that's actually a really big barrier in gastroenterology is that we have a lot of children on amino acid formulas or dairy free formulas um and actually, you know, there's so many times that I think oh, it would be great to use a, a formula that had some food derived ingredients in. But actually, there's not one on the market at the moment that, um, you know, is able to cater for those exclusions. So, um, you know, I think that would be fantastic. And I think you know, it would have a really big impact on clinical practice. Yeah. So, I mean, we've mentioned, obviously, they contain meat, so they're not suitable for vegetarian or vegan families. But in, are there any other situations where they might not be the suitable option for a patient? 
Um, I suppose it's for the gastro patients that might have more like the soup. Well, so we just don't know because it's real food, so it makes sense to. Yeah, and I suppose you know in more those more rare conditions, so like paediatric intestinal pseudo obstruction, you know historically this condition is that we you know we've moved these children off of potentially an oral diet onto just a bite and dissolve diet. So like crisps and things that dissolve in the mouth, because we know there's a risk of um, a bezoar formation in the gut, which is basically a you know little bolus of food that gets stuck, stuck in the gut. Um, and actually, so we don't know yet if, the, if a blended diet will be helpful in these patients. We know anecdotally from parents reports that their children have massively improved on a blended diet, but um you know, we don't have that clinical evidence just yet, which which was actually the research project that I was working on with Graham and trying to get some funding for um, looking specifically at the use of blended diet in paediatric intestinal pseudo obstruction um, to see, you know, to see if in these rare conditions, you know, it, it might be helpful, but um, to yeah. be confirmed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very exciting area to be in. So, I mean, what do you think the future looks like for blended diets and formulas with food-derived ingredients? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm biased just because of the research I've been <laughs> seeing and just seeing how how well it works. Um, but I, I, do, I really feel like, I mean, as a default feed on any acute setting, needs to have fibre in it, whether it's got real food-derived ingredients or just a fibre, some fibre in there, um, just to feed the good bacteria. I think we're just learning so much more about that now. So I... You know, I I definitely can see the, the way forward that we will be looking to use these products probably more and more. Um, and maybe used sooner in the patient journey as well. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, I mean, I'm very pro real food, very obviously very keen on gut health and everything to do with gastroenterology and the microbiome, pretty much like Graham. Um and I do, I really think that blended diets and food derived um, ingredient formulas are, are really exciting and they are going to have a massive impact on, on patient care and patient outcomes. Um, I think, you know, each patient needs to be taken individually. I think there is rationale that, a, you know, a food derived ingredient formula or a blended diet could be used as the, the very first feed for a patient. There's no reason as to why it, it couldn't be in most cases. But I think, you know, that's where dietitians come in and step into our own is that we can, you know, have that individualized approach um, and discussions with the family around the risks and benefits and, you know, the research that there is out there um, around these these types of diet and these new ways of thinking, I suppose, when it comes to dietetics. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh, you too. It's been absolutely brilliant chatting, but we must try and wrap up. Um, and at the end of each podcast, I ask guests to leave a key message. Um, so today we've been discussing about the tolerance of blended diets. So if you were to leave listeners with one or two thoughts to digest, excuse the pun, um, what would they be? Graham, we'll start with you. Uh, for me personally, who works in intensive care, I find the blended diets has a, has a limitation, unfortunately, because of the variability in electrolytes. So having an option to have a food-derived ingredient formula um, just cuts out all the stress for the family. They come, they've got enough to worry about without having to say you can't give a blended diet. And it, it, so far, most of the patients is a happy medium for them to go on um, whilst they're, they're on well. Especially you know, the, the dichotomy I mentioned, they are, there's a huge amount of intravenous antibiotics right 
helps out their gut microflora. So we just got to try and keep that good bacteria there with the with the prebiotics. So that would be my take home message, you know, for the future to use these um, food derived ingredient formulas in intensive care or in acute settings when we have to monitor those electrolytes. Um, so I think, you know, my experience is probably more than the diet rather than the food derived ingredients. And actually, you know, anecdotally, what I'm told from parents is that they've seen really massive improvements in their child's symptoms and um, in the quality of life for the child, but also for the family. And I think that is a really key element that often, you know, we're so focused on the, the clinical um picture so is the diarrhea better is the constipation better is the reflux better actually is the quality of life better and I think you know that's so so important and that should be at the forefront of everyone's minds and I think that's where blended diets really come into their own is that they're improving quality of life as well as clinical symptoms um, and so that just would be with that quality of life Lucy, just the quality of life it goes back to the parents able to yeah. you know, prepare food for their child which is you know the most basic um, gift that parents want to be able to do so that's what we've some of the research has shown that parents just feel like they're doing the job as a, a parent so. so yeah the research but also parents have told me that you know I just want to cook them dinner yeah. and I want them to sit at the family eat what they can and then I give the rest by the tube and you know that's just such a sense of uh, worth for the families and you know they just it just massively has improved their quality of life and I just think that's so important yeah no absolutely oh what a wonderful way to end so if listeners are wanting to get more information, where can they go to find this? I think probably the, the starting point would be, you know, through the British Dietetic Association website. They've got a fantastic working group that are looking at blended diets. Um, you know, 2019 is when the new BDA policy statement came out. Um, so if you've got any, you know, I suppose, concerns or, you know, worries about whether you can support a blended diet as a dietitian, that's definitely your first port of call. And they're actually also currently developing a sort of a toolkit that, you know, dietitians can use when assessing um, and starting children on, or adults, anybody, on a blended diet. Um, so that's definitely the, the first port of call. There's also some, you know, trusts within the UK that are really kind of leading the way for blended diets. So the Great North in Newcastle um, and done some fantastic work around blended diets. Um, and they've got a really good uh, recipe booklet um, that I'm sure, I'm saying it now, but I'm sure they'd be happy to share if you, if you wanted them to. And also, um, you know, some of the um, nutrition companies, for example, they do have some really good resources about starting blended diet, using formulas to support uh, support blended diets, etc. cetera. Um, so there's a whole host of information out there. Um, and yeah, if you go to the BDA, they'll be able to point you in the direction of certain people who might be, you know, really leading the way in that field. Well, thank you very much, both of you. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to both of you. Thank you so much, Lydia. Thanks. Nice to speak to you as well. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Medical Nutrition. If you enjoyed the podcast and found the content useful, please share it with your colleagues and consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. For more information on this topic or to share your feedback, please visit the Nestle Health Science N Plus Hub or click on the link in the show notes. Mm -hmm.